And now a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 13, beginning verse 24, going through verse 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Thanks be to God. Amen. Keep awake. Keep alert. Stay on watch. Something is going to happen. And no, this classic spooky-sounding Advent text known by many as the Little Apocalypse at least by preachers and Bible geeks, is not asking us to sit watch for the manger, or the shepherds, or the star, nor for sugar plums, or for even shiny red, green, silver, or gold wrapping paper, or stockings hung from the chimney with care. I'm not suggesting that we avoid or look away from any of those things, which are coming in the next month or so for most of us. I'm simply suggesting there is something deeper, much deeper, offered to us by Advent and by this text, if we choose to accept the gift. Many will not. Some cannot shed themselves of the baggage that these types of biblical passages bring with them. You know, we've all heard our share or heard about the turn or burn hellfire brimstone sermons and these kinds of ba- uh, the baggage that these kind of Bible passages so often bring with them. We've been there. We've heard those. You know, you know the kind used for manipulative altar calls to get you to walk an aisle or say a prayer and save your singed tail feathers from a place of eternal torment someplace in some afterlife. Enough of that. 
But what if these verses were never intended to speak to some other place of suffering? But to this one. This world, when it seems all hope is lost and life as we know it is being destroyed. We know a thing or two in 2020 about having life as we know it be completely put on hold, don't we? What sense of normal awaits us, if any, on the other side of this pandemic? We don't know, but what we do know is there is much suffering right now and so much uncertainty as we look toward the future. Now, this passage from Mark 13 is made clearer as a whole when the rest of the book is brought into view. See, early on, Jesus calls on his disciples to pay attention. Watch for deception. Watch out for yourselves. Watch out for those who are suffering poor and marginalized. Keep alert during difficult days, and do not allow the weight of this world to cause you not to pay attention because you are tired or hopeless, or because you are in the face of environmental, political, social, and cosmic seeming calamity. The disciples' tendency toward ignorance in the midst of divine activity is a dominant and repeated theme in Mark's gospel. These disciples do not seem to recognize Jesus, though they believe he is God's special messenger. So Jesus' insistent call for intentive, attentional living could also be read as a sort of apocalyptic pastoral care, I suppose you could say. You know, despite their dull, aloof tendencies, Jesus urges the disciples, hey, stay alert. Today, a more accurate phrase in every way based on our modern situation might just be, if Jesus were saying it today, stay woke. Now, there are various Greek words used to convey what we might translate as the word seeing or to see here in this passage. The one used most in this passage relates to the function of the eye, you know, these, as opposed to blindness or not seeing. The term also relates to spiritual or mental kinds of seeing or perception, something you must see but not with your physical eyes, but with the vision of your holy imagination, your faith, your spiritual eyes, if you will. You might even say the kind of vision you can only see if you are willing to dream. But along comes verse 33 in this passage, and it takes everything up a notch, because verse 33 moves beyond spiritual dreaming and visioning to a literal call to lose sleep as one endeavors to participate in the work of the divine. It's a full-scale call to vigilance. That is, mental, physical, and deeply spiritual. And to do this kind of watching, alertly and despite the absence of energy or sleep or rest, well, let that sink in for just a moment. And especially as you begin to draw the parallels in your own mind to where we find ourselves in late November 2020. Hmm. What is at stake when we, the people of God today, sleep on the job or allow our senses to become 
dull during times of stress or crisis? Who is at risk when God's people slip off into a sort of slumber? And what is the cost when we are called to see, called to remain awake, and to stand ready to work for a better world? The waiting is the hardest part, Tom Petty famously saying. It's hard to imagine a better summary of life in the United States in late November of 2020. The waiting, it's hard. We're waiting for a president to admit defeat. We are waiting for vaccines whose success rates are over 90% to be distributed widely and perhaps help us to return to something like normal. We are waiting for the lame duck Congress to pass some kind of economic relief package. Many people's unemployment benefits are scheduled to run out the day after Christmas, and so that certainly makes for some intense waiting and watching. There's some chronological waiting in this time of year for us, too. Will we be able to get the lights and decorations and tree up? Will we be able to get the cards mailed, the cookies baked? The clock, it seems, is always ticking, and yet we are standing still doing all this waiting. But for those who dare to dream, for those who dare to see an alternative vision for this world that seems so intent on droning on and on and numbing our senses and lulling us to sleep, today's gospel points to a different kind of waiting, ultimate waiting, or perhaps waiting for the ultimate. I called it the Little Apocalypse earlier, and it's definitely right in line with classic Jewish apocalyptic literature of its time. But the word apocalypse doesn't mean the end. People miss this. The word apocalypse literally means the unfolding. Hmm. What will unfold and lead us to getting out of the current mess we're in and on with God's dream for the world. Will there be little hints of progress or major breakthroughs? Will there be touchstones along the way? Will there be leaders who will rise up among us or in front someplace? And what part will we play in the unfolding of whatever it is that's going to come next? And how might we fight off weariness And keep our eyes open when time just keeps standing still. How will we use our eyes, not just those that sit on either side of our nose, but the eyes deep inside that drink in positive, future-oriented visions of a better tomorrow and serve to quench the dry and desperate places deep in our hearts with the promise that there really is a better tomorrow just ahead for all of us. How? How can we watch? How can we wait? How can we stay alert and not miss the signs of new life when they spring up? How will we do it when there's so much boring, painful sometimes, but always numbing waiting going on? Would someone please tell us how? Well, I'm glad you asked.
I have a four-letter word for you. Oh, relax. It's a good one. It's spelled H-O-P-E. Hope. Hope is the caffeine for our weary souls that gives us the edge we need to stay awake for the night shift. But unlike caffeine, hope is not a foreign substance that we must introduce into our bodies from the outside in. Hope is something we find within us already. Hope is always with us, always present, never absent, but often forgotten, overlooked, or rationalized away by so-called adult realism. Oh, I'm not going to get my hopes up too high about that new job possibility, we say, trying to manage the potential for future disappointment and heartache. Or adult realists minimize hope's incredible power by saying things like, I just hope, dot, dot, dot. But the truth is, hope is neither fragile nor powerless. Hope is not a last resort, and hope is not a far-fetched fantasy, but rather a clear, compelling vision of what could be. And when the hope burns white-hot within us, we begin to see what the world might look like when God's hopeful vision for this world begins to become a reality in the present. Hope keeps us awake when we do not minimize it or ignore it or attempt to manage it or try and hoard it or protect it. You see, hope does not need risk managers, but hope needs risk takers. Come here. This seems an appropriate metaphor on the heels of Thanksgiving. Are you ready for this? We're talking about hope, people, not pie. Thanks be to God, we never run out of hope so long as we keep alert, keep watching, fight the urge to doze off and the silly idea that hope will run in short supply. Hope never runs out, never runs dry. Our attention spans, however, certainly do. So, let us fix our sights, our dreams on hope. The hope of a better tomorrow will give us the alertness and the energy we need to stay awake. Let us hope wastefully. Let us hope lavishly. Let us hope childishly and with no regard for what might happen if our hope in a better world for tomorrow is too lofty a dream for today, for some people. We have not been called to dream small or manageable dreams, children of God. We have been called to dream dreams that keep us alert and keep us looking for the signs of hope springing up in the world all around us, right under our noses. And once we see these signs, well, we join God there, mind, body, and spirit. The place where God's hopes for this world and our hopes for a better world meet is the place we begin the work. And just what will the work look like, you may ask? Well, the specifics, they remain to be seen. 
but you can rest assured that it won't be driven by monetary gain or greed or selfish ambition or injustice, someone getting something at the expense of someone else. You know, so many of the things that fight against God's dream for the world right now in our world. No, the work that will need to be done for a better tomorrow where we will join God is a place, well, that all signs seem to indicate that we'll be doing more of what we've already been doing. Welcoming the stranger, lifting up the fallen, loving God, doing justly, and loving mercy. The specifics as to what our work for a better tomorrow will be, well, we're just not completely certain yet. So in the meantime, let's allow the adrenaline of hope to pump through our veins and anticipation. Let's dream with our eyes wide open of a better world. Hope will keep us awake. Let's make sure we're watching. Thanks be to God. Amen.